0: Well, good morning again, Dorisville. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place today. Amen. really is. For our guest today, we are on a journey as a church this year, 2012, as you can see on each one of the walls. His story, my story. And what we're doing is several things. We're reading the Bible through as a church family. We're memorizing scripture. Um, and then we're also preaching. Our goal is to put a message from each book of the Bible um, throughout 2012 that's that's what we're trying to do and this is the, um, the fifth message already uh, in this series that we're doing and uh, we have of course Genesis Exodus Leviticus Numbers and now Deuteronomy Deuteronomy and the word Deuteronomy from the Hebrew the name of Deuteronomy in the in the Hebrew are you ready for this it's really hard words those those Hebrews were really creative with their names weren't they you know I think I'll write a book of the Bible today let's call it words. You know, that's what they did. But when the Greeks came along, the, the guys who translated into, from, from Hebrew to Greek 200 years before the birth of Jesus, then they, they had a little more, they had better, uh, better they, they, they wanted to call it, you know, the second law. Because what Deuteronomy is, is that it's Moses, before he dies, giving the law one more time to the nation of Israel as they prepare to go into the promised land. Written about 1,400 years uh, before The Lord Jesus Christ, written by the guy named Moses, is the fifth book that composes the Pentateuch, or the first five books in the Bible. Now, as I just mentioned, when you have this story, okay, we're about to hear, this part of the Deuteronomy we're going to hear, is imagine that the children of Israel now have wandered in the desert and around for 40 years. And they are on the brink. They are on the edge of going into the promised land. And Moses kind of gives them the the pregame show gives them pep talk before the game. You're fixing to go in, and basically, this is how we're going to play the game of life. And how you play the game of life for them in what they call the promised land was going to be determ- determine what kind of end they had, what kind of post-game show they had. Now, today, of course, there's the championship for the football, National Football League, you know, A- 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 AFC and the-, and the NFC. What's the AFC and what? Is that right? Yeah, okay, good. All right, make sure I got them right. You're talking all about football, okay? And so really big thing today, okay? And I guarantee you on both those teams, the coach is going to give them that talk before the game. He's going to tell them how he thinks they should play the game. Do the best. Remember this. Remember the fundamentals. All of that. And then at the end, they're going to have a post-game show on, on ESPN. You know, they have a show called The Post-Game Show, and they show and they analyze the game. Well, to bring what I want to share with you today is... This today does nothing if we keep it 1400 B.C. But if we can get this up to 2012, which is incredibly easy in the Word of God because it's like it was printed yesterday, okay? If we can bring this up, and this is a sermon for men and women. I talk a lot to the guys, but please understand, all believers, okay? If we can take that from there into 2012 and impacting our lives, that would be an incredible thing today. So to help you do that, I want you to imagine us, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, okay, and you're poised to jump into the promised land. Now, the promised land for us is not a physical, it's not heaven, okay? The promised land, though, is the incredible life with the Lord Jesus Christ. Living out the best life in Jesus Christ after we trust Jesus Christ as Savior. Um, How to do life after we trust Jesus Christ as Savior. Consider then the Word of God today and consider this message as the pep talk uh, as we launch into our life with Jesus Christ. Okay? Imagine that. Then, just like on ESPN, we're going to have a post-game show. But it won't be here. Each one of us will have a post-game show. It's going to happen just about three days after your day. The coach won't be there, but probably some pastor will will stand up and analyze your life. Perhaps some family members. I know usually when I do a service, I try to get input from the family members. So you've been dead three days. We're going to show up, and we're going to have a post-game show that analyzes your life. It happens every week, every day in this world. So normally, there's always a winner and a loser in every game, but there's really three categories. There's the team... That just gets whooped. Unfortunately, that happened to Denver. The Patriots just beat them like a dog. And and the post-show, I'm sorry, but that's just the way it was. And the post-show was not very kind to them. Well, sometimes when we do funerals in the post-show of life, they're losers. I mean... You know, you know you're know, you in one of those situations when you go see the family and they say, I say, yeah, I didn't know your, your husband, I didn't know your dad, I didn't know your brother. Could you tell me something about him? And I go, mm. He likes spaghetti. <laughs> he likes country music. And that's really, you know you're in a tough situation when you ask those that are closest to the person to tell about their lives, what was meaningful in their life, and the best thing they could is their favorite food or what kind of music they liked. You do not want to have a post-show when those closest to you have to struggle to say something good about you. But there are losers like that. It's a shame because it probably means they live their life without truly impacting much of anybody. Much less eternity. The second category is they lost, but boy, they played a good game. They lost, but they played a good game. We see this in football all the time. There'll be, there'll be a real close contest. I mean, a real close contest. And then at the last minute, someone gets the field goal or a touchdown is made. And what was third to be victory turns into defeat. And that happens in post-game shows, too. I've been here at all time. What a great dad. What a great brother. He was kind. He was generous. He gave himself away to others. But did you know that a preacher could stand up and say all these wonderful accolades about you, but without Jesus Christ in your life, the postgame show is a loss? I mean, you know... I've done so many funerals where he was a good person. She was a good person. Um, They were generous. They, They even sometimes went to church. They were good. But there was no relationship with Jesus Christ. And you can never win at life or eternity without Jesus Christ. Some pastor may say some really great words about you. But to die without Jesus Christ is eternal loss. And then there's the winners. That's what you want in your post game show. That's what you want. You want some pastor to stand up and say, This guy was a winner. Jesus Christ, yes, he was generous. Yes, he was good. Yes, she was kind. Yes, she did a good thing for people. Oh, an incredible mom, a credible dad, an incredible person. But most of all, there is no doubt that they knew Jesus Christ as Savior. Not because of a tattoo, not because of something they did, other than they lived out. Jesus Christ It's incredible So really today's message is Legacy, your life story It's what does you? What do you want Your post game show To look like You can't wait till after you're dead Now is the time to determine Your legacy, your life story Your post game Show We find it in Deuteronomy chapter 6 Deuteronomy chapter 6 We're going to look at verses 1 through 9 and verses 20 through 25. I've entitled the first point, legacy, doing life right. Now, again, just imagine with me, okay, that life is a game, okay? And we're fixing, to, we're fixing to leave the locker room, and we're fixing to launch into life, and we're going to determine what our post-game show is going to look like. Now, let me ask you a question. Um, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, could you make a little noise for me? Come on, followers of Jesus Christ? Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, good, good, good. Okay, followers of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. What do you think about this book? What do you think about this book? Now, because we're talking about guys, okay, let's talk about guys just a moment. You know, to some, particularly men, seem to lean toward it this way. Often we see this book as the rule book. Okay? We see, we see the Bible as God's list of do's and don'ts. And we understand that if we're going to play the game, you've got to abide by the rules. But we also know, just like guys, there are rule breakers on football teams. They always want to stretch the rules as far as possible. That's why often a team has penalties. Okay? Because of that, there's no joy in the game. Because you're always getting called by the referee, always getting called by the referee, always getting called by the referee, almost becoming a detriment to the team. So if we only see the Word of God as a rule book, There's not a lot of joy in that. And there's not a lot of fulfillment and purpose in that. Now, sometimes guys see this book as an instruction book. Okay? Now, we all know how men are with instructions. Come on. You buy something. You try to put it together. And you try to do it without reading the instructions. When do you pull out the instructions? When you are in trouble. When you put a dining room table together and it has three legs and it's supposed to have four, you know you're in deep weeds. So at that time, we pull out the instruction booklet and try to make sense of it then. The Word of God is an instruction booklet. But men, women, if we view the Word of God as an instruction booklet and we have the idea, I'll read it when I have to, by the time you have to, it's a little late. It's better then to see this book as God's guidebook for life. That its purpose is to show you... Now, listen carefully to my choice of words. To show you how to do life well while you're here. How to play the game and enjoy the game. And that's why he wrote what he wrote. Look at verse number uh, 1. This is the command and the statutes and the ordinances. The Lord your God has instructed me to teach you so that you may... Follow them in the land that you're about to enter and possess. So he says, you're fixing to enter into a land. This is how you do life. We're fixing to launch our lives from this building. How are we going to do life well? Very important. Now, are there rules in the book? Of course there are. I mean, my goodness, look at the football. Today, when those two teams gather on the field, there will be referees enforcing the rules. But the rules are there for a reason. You know, watch this. Watch this. You're gonna be impressed. I'm waiting for the football to come, okay? And I do this. What's that mean? Fair catch. Fair catch. The reason they had the rule for fair catch because a player would be very subject to being injured if he's fixing to catch the ball and a 300-pound man (laughs) nails it. Can I have an amen there? Some of you football players. You know, without that rule, there'd be a great risk of injury. Okay, what about this? Clipping, clipping. Illegal block from the back below the waist. Okay? Dangerous. The NFL realized that. Football teams realized that. They made a rule because so many people were being injured that have a block. Okay? One more. Face mask. Face back. You can't grab the face back. Can you imagine? Again, you're, you're a running back. You've got the ball, okay? And some dude grabs your face back and whips you around. You know, he weighs 400 pounds. You weigh 210. And whips you around. What's the possibility there? Broken neck. So the NFL came up with rules that said you can't do these things because the risk is great. Yes, there are rules in the book. But they're there because God knows there are certain things in life that will hurt us. There are certain things in life that will damage us. So it gives us rules not to put us in bondage, but that we might live life and do it well. So here's what it kind of looks like. This is the command, the statutes, and the ordinances. The Lord your God has instructed me to teach you so that you may follow them in the land you're about to enter and possess. Do this so that you may, now watch, fear, you may revere, you may respect, you may worship, the Lord your God, all the days of your life by keeping all His statutes and commands, I am giving you, your son and your grandson so that you may have a long life. So God starts off by saying, I'm I'm giving you some rules here, okay? But these rules are going to give you something I hope you want. And that is generational success. Generational success. The possibility... Of you passing on in your legacy a strong faith in your God. So that your son will pick up that strong faith in God. So that your grandson will pick up that strong faith in God. It will be a generational thing. And for some of you that is so important. Because in your past are generations of ungodliness. Of failure. Of pain and suffering. And that is why it is so significant when we become believers in Jesus Christ. He makes us new. He said, I can start a new generational trend, a new season of generational success if you will let me, if you'll follow the commands, if you will accept Christ and then live as I instructed Him and you to live, or you to live in Him. Hugely, hugely important. And then he says, a long life. I don't think we can apply that for, for years, but you know what really is important? It's not really important the number of years you live, but what happens in those years. And God, you know, when we say, I'm going to follow God's rules, God's plan, God's guidebook for the for life. I don't care if it's 40, or in Joshua's case, less than that, or 60 or 80. If those years are filled with, with prosperity and the sense of success spiritually, that's huge, guys. That's huge. It really is. So he says, he said, I'm going to give you that long life. Look what else he says in verse number 3. Listen, Israel, and be careful to follow them. So that you may prosper and multiply greatly, because Yahweh, the God of your fathers, has promised you a land flowing with milk and with honey. He says, now, I want you to come down, I want to prosper you, I want to give you success. Don't think money in the bank. Have you figured out yet? Whatever you've got in farmers or whatever bank you've got stays put. You can't take it to heaven with you in the sense of dollar bills. The prosperity and success he wants to give you is that generational success, a legacy, a story worth telling. And, and he does this and says, now listen, you can determine what part of John 10.10 10 you're going to leave. Remember John 10.10? The thief, Jesus said, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You, your post show can consist of a life of the thief stealing, killing, and destroying. Or the second part. I have come, Jesus said, that you may have life, and that you may have it more abundantly. And by following these principles, these guidelines, these rules, we determine what part of John ten ten our story, our legacy is going to be. You get to choose that. It's your story to write. And it's your story to tell. Now, let's move on down and let's look at this one thing. Legacy, this one thing. Here's what it says. Now, listen, Israel. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. First thing is, he says, you're going to live in this land, you've got to declare your allegiance. You've got to reach a point in your life when you say, in my life, there's one God. Now, there is a plethora, oh, I use it almost tonight, I'm going to use it now. There's multitude of gods in America. The God of popularity is when we fight in school all the time. Who's going to be the captain of the football team? Who's going to be the, the cheerleader? You know, who's going to be the president of this as president of the student council? Who's going to get recognized as homecoming queen? There's all kinds of things in the student life, but also continues into life. There's multitudes of gods the God of prosperity, the God of materialism, the God of prestige. Okay? Multiple gods. If you're going to have your best life, live out your best life in Jesus Christ, uh, have a life well here, then you've got to determine in my life, there's one God. See, where it says the Lord is one. He's saying this. The Lord is the one. See, guys, let me tell you a secret. And ladies, too. But particularly, guys. See, God and your wife have something in common. They both don't like other girlfriends. They both don't like other girlfriends. See, you may be the, the neatest guy in the whole world. You may be a loving guy and all that. But if you've got some girls on the side, your wife ain't going to like that. You may find yourself with a different wife. God's the same way. You know, God says, listen, there's one thing I just don't tolerate. I don't tolerate other gods. I don't tolerate idols in, in, my life, in your life. So if you're, to, if you're going to do life well, if you're going to do, do God in your life, you've got to understand something. There's only room for one God, and that's the one God. Can I have an amen? Got to be, got to be, got to be. And you've got to determine, your children can't be your God, your wife can't be your God, your husband can't be your God, your religion can't be your job. Your job, whether it's like, like worship leading or, or pastoring, can't be your God. Your denomination can't be your God. God has got to be your God. So, so he says that. He says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then he says this, verse 5. You've got to declare your intentions. When you proposed to your wife, you said, It's my intention to be faithful to you. When you took the vows, it's my intention to be faithful to you. Here's what the word says. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your passion. I I was going to use the word emotion, but we guys are afraid of the word emotion. Because you know we've got to be tough. Okay? But the word passion should ring a bell with you. I've been to some games with some of y'all, men, and you know passion. I've seen some of your hobbies. And I know your passion. So God says, the same way you've got that passion for football or basketball or seeing your kid on the field or whatever it might be, your passion for your cars or your hobbies, multiply that many fold. And you've got to bring that into our relationship as God and believer. You've got to love the Lord with all of your heart. You've got to love the Lord your God with all your soul. That is to your core. That means this. This is a great illustration. Cut yourself in half. Just... And from skin to spine, you bleed Jesus. You got the picture? See, sometimes... Remember you were a kid, and you got those gigantic chocolate Easter bunnies? Have you ever thought how weird that was? That the Easter bunny would bring you a likeness of the Easter bunny to eat? just kind of sick, if you think about it. But anyway... So, you get this giant Easter bunny. You're all excited. You're, in your mind, you're thinking, tons of chocolate. You open it up, you take the foil off, and it breaks in half, and the chocolate is like micro thin. What appeared to be big was small. Faith in God's the same way. God says if you're going to be a God follower, if you're going to have a legacy, have a story worth telling, when it cuts you, when I break you, we've got to see God all the way to the core. It's just got to be filled you have got to be filled with God. So love him with all your soul. And then he also says, love him with all your strength. Love him with all of your diligence. In other words, you've got to make sure that God totally is ingrained in your life. You've got to come to a point when you realize that there's no separation from you. In God. There's a really cool story in John chapter 6 and it starts like in verse 53 and Jesus is talking with, you know, kind of like the and his disciples. Some of them were disciples, you know, followers of Jesus and some were the religious leaders. And he said something like this. He said, now, now listen, if you really want to have life, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. I know that sounds weird, but that's what Jesus said. And at least one of the things he was trying to get into the picture there was is that somehow I have got to become so much a part of you, it's inseparable. So so you go to to a barbecue bar and you order a big old ribeye steak, okay? You cut that steak and you eat it. At some point, that steak is a separate part of you. And at some point, that steak becomes part of you. And it goes into your blood system and strengthens your red blood count, and it becomes inseparable. Jesus is saying, when you love me with all your strength, that's what's got to happen. You've got to reach a point, if you're going to have a good story to tell, if you're going to have a great post-game show, if you're going to live life successfully, I've got to be so integrated in life in you that you cannot be separated from me. That when people think of Dwayne Taylor, they think of Jesus. When people think of uh, Mickey, they think of Jesus. When people think of Dave Winkleman, they think of Jesus. That inseparable we should be. And then he goes on and says this. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house. When you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand. And let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gate. Simply this. So that... When it's game over, and we're doing your post show, those closest to you know that you belong to Jesus Christ. Know that you belong to Jesus Christ, no doubt. And that as you journeyed through life, as you played the game of life, because of your faith, they were drawn into faith themselves. Let me give you an illustration. You know, just like there are boy hammers and girl hammers. You heard me talk about that? There's the 16-ounce, and there's a little 4-ounce tack hammer. So it is with vacuum cleaners. There's girl vacuum cleaners. You know what I'm talking about. They have little pretty colors. Got fancy names. But they can't suck up dirt. They play with dirt. Then you've got the craftsman. Eight horsepower. 26 gallons of sucking power. And you take it out to your car. And the danger is sucking the carpet off of the floorboard of the car. That's a vacuum cleaner. And that's how you live your life. So, your faith is so strong in Jesus that people are just sucked into your faith. That's what I'm talking about, God. That's what I'm talking about. Your kids are just drawn to your faith. Your friends are drawn to your faith. Those around you are just drawn to you. Because of your faith in Jesus Christ. That's what it means. When He says, teach them. Teach them. Put them in your heart. Let it be so much ingrained in you that's inseparable. And then pass it on. So that those who are closest to you are just sucked in to your faith. Then it goes a little bit further. We slip down now to verse um, number 20. It's legacy of the next generation. Listen to this. Don't miss this, guys. Ladies. When your son or your daughter asks you in the future, what is the meaning of the decrees, the statutes, and the ordinances which the Lord our God has commanded you? Hey, Dad. Hey, Mom. You know, really... What does God mean to you? There'll come a time when they're going to want your opinion, trying to form their own opinion about really who God is and what serving Him looks like. And that's going to be the opportunity that you're going to have to tell your story. And you're going to have to determine now what story you're going to tell. We can take some good principles from what Moses says in the following verses. He says this Tell him, tell them, tell her. We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. But the Lord brought us up out of Egypt with a strong hand. Moses is saying, be sure and pass on your, what you were before Jesus. What was your life like before Jesus? Okay? That you were a slave. And then God brought you out of Egypt. And how do we plan that in our lives? When your son says, what means he's the priest? Pass on. And there's two things you're going to say. You'll be able to say this. I was a slave. There was a time before I met Jesus Christ. And I was in bondage to sin. That I had a master, but it wasn't God. And I was the master also of my life. And then I met Jesus. And He changed everything. I was a slave. And yes, I know for for those of you who are making spiritual application, you become a slave of Jesus. I'm aware of that. But I was a slave to sin, but I'm not now. But if we don't do this, your story will be something like this I am a slave. I am a slave. All my life was a life of disobedience, I'm a slave to lust. I'm a slave. You may, and again, believer, yes. But walking in disobedience. And the story you'll pass on is, I'm still a slave. Jesus died to set me free. But I'm still a slave. I'm a slave to lust, anger, jealousy, unforgiveness. I'm a slave. And what you do with this book determines the story you're going to tell. Will you... Break free from slavery, trust Jesus Christ, and then live this life that He's called us to? Will you trust Jesus, which makes no sense, and then say, I'm going to do it my way, which I might trust possibly practical, possible or practical? What's your story going to be? Wouldn't it be cool to be able to say, He was, but He wasn't when He died? Come on, amen? I was a slave. Or I still am a slave. Verse number twenty-two. Before our eyes, the Lord inflicted great and devastating signs and wonders in Egypt. Remember all the plagues. If you you need to read your Bible. Go to the book of Exodus, starting chapter 3, go through about chapter 9 there, and you'll see all the incredible um, things that, that God did, including the firstborn of every person in Egypt who was not under the blood of the Passover lamb. You just have to read the story, okay? I mean, some really horrible things that God did for a reason, okay? He, he Lord, inflicted great and devastating signs and wonders in Egypt on Pharaoh and on his household, okay? So, so the question is this. you have the opportunity to tell which story? Will you tell of the carnage that God inflicted on sin? Or will you tell the carnage of your disobedience? I know we glorify this thing called the cross. And we played it with gold. But it was here, on Roman cross, that all the wrath of God... Was poured out on his son Jesus Christ. That Jesus became sin. Our sin. He became our sin. That we might have the righteousness of God. And let me tell you something. It was the carnage. But it wasn't the carnage I want you to focus on. I not I want you to focus on the physical carnage. I want to talk about the carnage that he wrecked on hell. Because no longer did men have to be condemned to be separated from God for all eternity. No longer, did, no longer did death have power. No longer did Satan claim rulership of life after life after life after life. There became an opportunity for change. For new creation. And it's the power, the carnage of the cross. That's one story you can tell. There's another story. A broken marriage, a ruined career, the carnage of disobedience. A man lived a life with no integrity. Man known, I've known him, he's lied all his life. There are two options, there's two stories. Will you, will you tell, will your, will your postgame tell the story of the carnage, of the power that God ex- exhibited over sin? Or will be a story of a life that suffered carnage because of disobedience? He goes a little bit further. Verse 23 and 24. But he brought us from there. I like that. From there in order to lead us in and give us the land. They swore to his fathers. The land commanded us. The Lord commanded us to follow these statues and to fear, to worship, to revere the Lord our God for our prosperity always and for our preservation as it is even today. Two choices. A promise lived out. Will your postgame show be about how you saw the promises and how you lived out the promises of God in your life? Or will it be consequences he had to live with? Regrets he had to live with? You know, all of us are going to have regrets. But I'm telling you, the saddest thing is when there's a post-game show and all you hear from the people, a life wasted. To see a man about to cross over and look in the eye of his pastor and say, Dwayne. Why didn't I live closer to God a long time ago? Regrets. Somebody wrote a song, wasted years, wasted years. And the choice is ours. We can walk out of this room today with, with a story to tell, promises to live out. Or we can wait. And people talk about regret. Some of you already. You look back and say, I regret. I mean, I've got regrets. Your pastor has regrets. I can't get over it. My children are grown adults, and I thought about how many times I was so busy with the church. That wasn't there. What was your greatest regret? I spent way too much time working at the church instead of working in the lives of my children. Don't let that happen to you that you have in your lives. Promises to live out. Regrets to live with. And lastly, this one. Righteousness will be ours. If we are careful to follow every one of these commands before the Lord our God as He has commanded us. Righteousness. Right living will be ours. Righteousness literally means right living. If we do these commands... We will live right, and we will have a great post game story to tell. And you know what I think is true? I don't know where you are in your life story, but it's not too late. No, probably nothing you do can totally erase the consequences of, of previous actions. But I tell you what, if you today, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, it begins with that. I shared with my brother, a friend, back on that back row back there, how that literally to trust Jesus means to follow him, to commit to follow him. And I brought a chair out, and I said, you know, it's like this. I saved that chair, I believe that chair. I, I know that's a chair. My mind said that chair will hold me up. I spoke it, but until I sat down and put my full weight in it, I didn't trust the chair. If you've never put full weight in Jesus Christ, you need to do that today. And then, begin the journey of living the life God's way. If you've done that in the past, and and like so many of us, I told that same person, I said, in a few minutes, this room will be filled with 300 and something sinners. Every one of us have our issues. Every one of us have problems. Every one of us have failures. There can be no rock chuckers, because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no not one. So if you're here today, and you look back and you go, boy, Twain, you're right. My postgame show is not looking too late. Well, guess what? You're hearing my voice. You're still alive. Start. Pick up the, pick up the pen and write a new life story right now. Go back to your kids and say, I messed up. Go back to your, to your parents if they're still alive. And if not, say, God, I'm sorry for the way I treated them. Make, make resolutions in relationships that are broken. Pick up the pen. Write a new story starting today. Today. Because you're still breathing. And there's still time to write. You know, we've seen these games. One of them was one with nine seconds left. And they chucked the ball into the end zone. Only playoff games. And the end of the game was changed in the last nine seconds. And the end of your life story to be changed in the last nine seconds because of God's grace. Don't let Satan tell you it's too late. Don't let Satan tell you you're too far gone. Because you're not. You're not. Now, someone might be here going, Dwayne, that's cool, okay, nice analogies. Nice, but you know, I'm a New Testament person. I, I don't know much about the Bible, but I know a little bit. And I know that New Testament. Well, listen to this. Listen to what Jesus, remember Jesus, New Testament. Here's what happened in Mark chapter 12. One of the scribes approached. When he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well, he asked them. Hey, Jesus, what command is the most important of all? This is the most important, Jesus said. Listen, Israel. Does this sound familiar yet? The Lord our God, the Lord is the one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. He adds him with your mind, with your strength. Huh. Jesus said the same thing Moses said 1,400 years earlier. And here we are 2,100 years later, and the word's still true. God needs to be the God of your life. And then Jesus said, Oh, and by the way, you need to love your neighbor as yourself. You love your wife as yourself. You love your husband as yourself. You love your children as yourself. You love your brothers and sisters here at church like yourself. There's nothing, he said, greater than these two. Okay, the clock's ticking. You may be in the first quarter, second, third, I don't know. The truth is we don't know. Josh was in the fourth quarter of his life and didn't even know it. I think he's around, I think, 30, 31, 28. We don't know what quarter we're in. But I do know this. If you're hearing my voice and you're breathing, you can pick up the pen and write a new story. So my invitation's a couple fold this morning. First off, it's this. My brother's going to be standing down front here. And uh, Donnie particularly, some others, you need to help Brent because his voice is not strong. Um, But he'll be standing here. And uh, you can come down today first off. And you say, I'm ready to put my full weight in Jesus Christ. I'm ready today to trust Jesus. And I'm like a commitment to follow Him. And your game starts today. Some of us, the game started a while back. But... We've been writing the wrong story. And maybe today, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you want to change your post-game show. And you understand that, yes, there are rules in this book, but the rules are there for our good, not for our bad. The rules are there to protect us, not to hurt us. And that you're going to change your opinion from rule book to guide book, from instruction book to daily reading and application. You're going to make a commitment today To start rewriting your life story. But remember, hear, O Israel, hear, brother, hear, sister. Lord, our God, relationship, our God, He is the God. You can't have other gods. He's got to be number one in your life. When you cut you in half, it can't be a skin thing. It's got to be to the core. He's got to become so much a part of your life, it's totally inseparable. These words have got to be hidden in your heart, ingrained in your life, so they cannot be pulled out. And the reward, the reward, how to live life well here, and your postgame show will be one great celebration. You write that story. Would you bow your heads, please? You know, we do a a public invitation. Some some churches now going to do an invitation. But I I told the the guy I was talking to before church. I said, you know, the reason I I think it's important you come publicly is it shows your commitment. When Jesus called the tax collector Matthew, he did it publicly and said, come follow me. And Matthew in front of the crowd, many of them were critics, by the way, stood up. And follow Jesus. So we're not trying to embarrass you. Another way to look at it is. You've got questions. We've got answers. And I really pray. If you need Jesus Christ. You'll come today. Look right in the eye. And say okay. I'm ready to write a new story. I want to commit to Jesus Christ. A whole bunch of us. And I, I hope you're not sitting there going. No application Dwayne. Oh I hope not. But You know. This old set of steps up here we call an altar. It's not anything sacred, I guess. But the same reason I asked you to come publicly professing Jesus Christ for salvation. There's some guys and gals down here who would love to pray with you. Have you ever seen, by the way, when a player just messes up on the field? One or two things happens. One, the coach reams it out. You've seen that. But again, one of those games I saw, I think it was a national championship between LSU and Alabama. When that guy missed the field goal, the coach walked over, pat him on the shoulder and said, It's okay. We'll do it again next time. Well, there's some people out here who want to take you, look in your eye and go, It's okay. We'll start over again next time. There's some folks who want to pray for you. Pray for you. You can't put off the post-game show. It's coming. But you get to write the script of that show. Now, Father, from the very beginning, you've been real good today. Surely, your Holy Spirit is in this place. And I know words of a man can't change anybody, any time. But we have prayed that your Holy Spirit would draw men and women and children to yourself. And that's my prayer right now. Holy Spirit, just draw men and women, students and children, to Jesus. I pray, Father, that those of us who know you, if we need to change the script, change the game plan of our lives, I pray we'll do that today. May may marriages and families, and careers, and lives be changed. And I suppose God will be heaven before we get to know this, but I pray post-game shows will be changed. For some of us, Father, be heaven, and someone will walk up and go, I saw your post-game show. Boy, it sure changed. Changed that you won even in the last nine seconds. But you won. God, let that happen today, please. May your children rise up to the occasion and say, Here, O Israel, the Lord our God, he is the one God. And Jesus, I pray this in your name.